Running Light Ministry podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. You can support these podcasts by making a gift to the ministries at runninglight.org. Welcome to the Better Pleasure podcast. This is Bo. I'm Peter. And we're here to talk to you guys a little bit today about uh, the Bible and how it relates to issues of current culture like pornography and sexual immorality. And we enjoy taking questions on the show at our Twitter feed at Running Light. Um, so you can always go to Twitter and look us up on our handle, and you can always check out the podcast. And if you're listening to this, obviously you found it either on the iTunes Store or on SoundCloud. We're hoping to get some cool guests coming on, too, to talk about different things, some that maybe share our perspectives and some that don't, but we'd like to kind of mix it up and talk to different people. It's kind of fun. I, I have a, a cool um, week coming up because I'm going to be teaching um, – uh, just a presentation on pornography at uh, one of the colleges out here, and I've been doing that for the past three years. This is my third year of doing that, and um, it seems like that presentation always grows. And um, it's quite a quite a quite a versatile presentation. It has just a lot of different things in it, so it's kind of cool. It's not really just kind of one way. It doesn't. It's not like a, a pro porn or anti porn kind of thing it's more just like hey there's a lot of things to talk about when we talk about this issue yeah um economics and legislation and different things like that so it's cool i'm excited about it you know and um we do have a question of the week that we want to get to as well and but you had a really cool week um we mentioned it uh prior but you had uh, a talk with college students about you're kind of doing a foundations course. You're talking about sexuality. And so why don't you share a little bit about what you kind of opened up with? Yeah. So uh, I mentioned last week that we're going to be starting a, uh, a series in the youth ministry, uh, which is uh, college age, um, about, you know, what does the Bible say about sexuality? And we're focusing in on Genesis 2, verse 18 through 25. Mm -hmm. And we're just going to kind of be pulling it apart, which is the creation of Eve and the introduction of what we would call marriage and sexuality uh, within the Bible. So last week what I did is I kind of gave uh, an overview, like a very a very big overview of that whole section. Mm -hmm. And there's so much in it. And uh, what, what I'm hoping to do next week is, you know, having you there with me, just kind of take those sections piece by piece and really delve into them. So what the what the overview is essentially about is I, I talked a little bit about the fact that it's it's interesting that on page two of the Bible, sex is introduced, mm -hmm. you know, because, and I, and I mentioned in the talk that when I grew up in the church, all I would really hear from Christians about sexuality is just, hey, wait till marriage, you know, wait till marriage. And you know why, right? Because yeah. <laughs> close to half of American adults are infected with HPV. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> <Bam>. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason. <laughs> That's right. <It's> just... <laughs> Um, right. And I, and I would get reasoning like that, you know, where they would give me like a medical reason of like, Hey, you know, you don't want to get an STD. You yeah. don't want to have an unplanned pregnancy. Uh, you don't want to have intimacy with someone and you're not ready to actually commit to them. Uh, things like that. So they would give me like medical reasons or like sociological reasons. Uh, but no one ever gave me a biblical reason. So growing up in the church, I started to kind of think like, maybe the Bible doesn't talk about it, you know? Hmm. And then, um, you know, I started and then when I turned 13, I really didn't want to go to the Bible because I started to develop sexually. And I was like, you know, I, I think if I open up the Bible, all it's going to say about sex is like, don't do it. You know, don't yeah. do it. 
And so I never really went into the Bible to uh, figure out what it said about sex. Instead, I went to my friends, my peers. And uh, that's how I learned about sex was through my through my through my group of friends uh, and 13 year old boys at public school don't exactly have the best information about sex. So I, I, I immediately started out with like this this really weird worldview of either either you go to the world and you get a positive view of sexuality, which makes you not feel like, you know, you're a complete scumbag for liking sex. Or you go to the Bible and you just feel like you're a terrible person for all of your desires. Yeah. And uh, so that that was, and I, I mentioned uh, in my talk that that was one of the reasons why I became an atheist. Mm. And the beautiful thing about Genesis 2 is it shows us right in the beginning of the Bible an incredibly positive view of sex given by God that he created it for our betterment yeah. and our intimacy with one another to reflect his glory and that he is for it uh-huh. and that he created not only sex, but he created all of our desires encompassing sex. Hmm. Meaning, um, you know, when Adam sees Eve, God doesn't have to explain to him of like, Adam, you know, this is your wife. You're to love her. You're to care for her. He just immediately sees Eve and is attracted to her and just busts into a song, which I think is hilarious. You know, he sees his naked wife come to him and he just starts singing a song over her, Mm -hmm. which I think is just radical. And he starts the song off by saying, at last, you know, this is my uh, now bone of my bone, flesh, my flesh. And uh, it's just so cool. so passionate, so beautiful. And you see that God, uh, like I said, he's he's for sex, but he's also for our sexuality. Like he he created it. It's good. But what he did, and this is one of the most positive things about the Bible, is he not only created sex and sexuality, but he created, he defined love, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And he provided guidelines for us to live in with our sexuality. Yeah. Which, um, you know, when I was 13, I didn't think was very cool. But at the time I was turning like 16, 17 years old. And I was starting to see a lot of the consequences that were happening to my friends for the way they treated their sexuality. And I'm not talking STDs, and I'm not talking unplanned pregnancies. You know, that stuff happened, but that wasn't the reason why I was starting to second-guess my view of sexuality. What I started to realize about my friends and uh, the way they were hanging out with girls and even my own pursuit of my sexuality and how I, I, um, I more just looked to sex itself to satisfy me you know that's why pornography really appealed to me where you know the idea of a relationship and stuff like that that it was on my mind but more often than not i was just like i just think sex is cool you mm-hmm. know um and i realized over time that like as fun as it was it just wasn't all i thought it could be you know it wasn't as as great as as i had made it out to be in my mind you know and i, I st- ended up at the age of 16 being kind of empty and kind of depressed and kind of thinking like I thought there was more to it, you know, than this. And my buddies were kind of in the same place where they're just like, you know, this is cool, you know. But I, just, I thought, you know, I thought there would be just I thought it'd be cooler than this, you know. And they had a lot of failed relationships and they're kind of going about their life. And uh, you could you could live that way for sure and you could be relatively okay. But if you think that sex is the answer or relationships are going to be the answer for the longing in your heart, you're going to come up short. And that was what I found. That I that I'd come up short, and that's what inevitably led me back to God. Mm-hmm. And when you study the Bible and you study the guidelines that God has provided for our sexuality and why He's provided them, I would say the number one reason that the Bible gives is not so much of you know you're not going to really find much in the Bible about you know like don't have sex before marriage, uh, otherwise you're going to get an STD or you're going to have an unplanned pregnancy or something like that. Like those aren't the reasons that are given in the Bible. 
uh, the primary reasons that you see uh, given throughout the Bible is more, it has more to do with our intimacy with God, meaning that we were actually created, what the Bible says is that we were created to experience not merely human love, which is beautiful, but a divine love. And it's only when you experience this divine love with God that it starts to fill the centers of your heart and it starts to actually make you a complete person. Otherwise, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be using relationships and people no matter how you do that. Right? The creation. They're, you're going to be using the creation, right? And, and me and Bo have talked a lot about our own lives and how different we are when we look at sexuality. Um, but how each of us has looked to sexuality to fill something in our heart. Um, and how it just hasn't worked in the way that we thought. And what the Bible is saying is the reason why it hasn't worked is because it wasn't designed to work that way. Mm-hmm. You were designed to be filled with God. And then from that filling of God comes the overflow of his love towards another. Mm. And that is what's satisfying to humanity. It's not so much in me trying to find my own human love and have that complete me, but instead to be completed in Christ, Colossians 2.10. And then from that completion, I get to enjoy that completion with my wife. You know, loving, uh, being in love with someone is, is a beautiful and wonderful thing. But over time, right, as, as beautiful and wonderful as love is, over time it's natural for us as human beings to look to that love to be something more than it is. And uh, I always find it fascinating. You know, I, uh, I talked to the U of A students about this yesterday as well, where the Greeks, they had a word for divine love, and it was agape. And uh, it, it's almost like this weird thing built into, this langu- into their language they, where they realize that love there has to be a divine love. There has to be something greater than what we experience on a human level, right? And they had they had words for their human loves, right? Like storge, eros, um, phileo, things like that. But then they had this word agape where they, where they imagined that there was a divine love that was greater than the love that we humans have. And uh, what, what's so cool about it is that the original biblical authors, they looked at that word and they said, well, there is, there is an agape. And it's found in Christ. And that's why John says, God is agape. That's what he says in First John 4. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I see in my culture, which is very similar to the Greeks, is whenever you watch a fairy tale, a romantic movie, things like that, is you watch, these, uh, you watch a romance unfold that, that it pulls you in because it's so beautiful and so attractive. But there has to be an asterisk in your, in your mind where you realize this isn't reality, right? I've been in relationships before. That's not exactly how they look. That's not how they work, right? That's just a little bit too perfect. And you kind of got to separate yourself from that. And uh, what the Bible is saying is, no, 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 it does exist. You're just not going to find it in a person. You have to find it in Christ. Who is a person. Who is a person. But divine. But a divine person, right? Yeah. Not a merely human, but he's 100% human, 100% divine. Yeah. And that's why the perfect love exists in him. Yeah, and I mean, what we're talking about is... We are bringing a Christian worldview into sex mm. to understand it. Yeah. Other people in the world do it in other ways. You know, they're bringing other philosophies, beliefs into the purpose for sex. Mm. So we might sit down with someone who's Islamic and they might say something totally different from us. Yeah. You know, about the purpose of sex. Yeah. You know, one of the I, I read a passage in the Bible, First Thessalonians chapter four, and it says, um, uh, 
you know, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Mm. And I like the distinction there. There's people that don't know God. Mm. So the writer's saying they're not going to see things the way you see them. Yeah. You know, they're going to see things totally different. And that's true. It's it's tough to go to someone who doesn't see things, doesn't see God the way you see him mm. and say, hey, you need to have your sexuality be like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And they go, what? Like, what do you mean? Because if ours is so rooted, as you talk about, in this divine person, and that is the reason mm. for sex, it, it's it's understanding this intimacy with this divine person through this physical act of sexual relationship with mm. someone on the earth, then to tell someone, hey, to conform to some sexual norm in Christianity without really having them know the person seems kind of backwards. Yeah, and it's, it's not going to be beneficial. It's actually going to be harmful. And uh, I, I went over this a little bit in my talk as well, where, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing if I went to the average American... And the way that I've used, viewed sexuality as 13 and the way I still struggle to this day to view sexuality, even though I know Christ, mm -hmm. um, is I have a tendency to objectify and to use people. And that doesn't just just apply to my sexuality. It applies to everything. I have, I have a tendency to look at people as means to ends for me. And that's why, you know, pornography appealed to me. That's why I view pornography. It's the objectification of people so I could be gratified in myself. That's not why everybody views pornography. But for me, that's my pull. Um, and that's why I struggle so much uh, with loving other people and caring for them. Compassion and empathy and things like that, they don't come natural to me. Um, it's, it's only something that I've been able to experience since I've known Christ. But um, what I would say is that, like, Pretty much everyone in America would look at me and say, you're selfish, you're wrong, you need change. But if I change, if someone changes me without the gospel, without the knowledge of a divine love, all that's really going to happen to me, which our society calls good, which is actually negative though, it's actually maladaptive, is I'm going to then, instead of idolizing a thing, an objectification, I'm going to idolize a person. And people do it every day and they do it all the time. And we look at it as a good thing. You watch romantic movies. What do they say? You complete me, right? I need you. I need your love. You know, I hear that on the radio all the time. I need your love. I need your goodness. I need your warmth. I need your body. It's you know? the theme of all R&B tunes. <laughs> it really is, man, especially in the 90s. You know, that's that's yeah. the way that we, we view it. And everyone listening to it is like, yes, you know, yes, that's love. The needing of another person, that's love. And I, I even hear it from the youth sometimes where I'll hear some people saying like, you know, I don't, I don't know if this person's the one. You know, I'm like, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? And, and primarily what they mean is that like they, they don't feel that need. They don't feel that compulsive need for that person. And so they're like, I don't know if it's, you know, it's not passionate, it's not on fire enough, I don't know. And uh, what, what I would say to someone who struggles that way is it looks far more loving than what I do. It really does. And in a lot of ways, I may even say it's better than what I do. But here's the reason why it's bad. Number one, if that person is a human being, which they are, and they're just as fallen and messed up as you, they will never be able to satisfy you the way that you want them to. And you're always going to end up feeling a little bit like you've been ripped off. 
And that's why in our culture today, we have so many people that like when they get married, there's divorce rates are you know going through the roof. Cohabitation is really popular in our culture today because the idea is that you're looking for that one. You're looking for that person that's just going to make everything easy and make your love right. But the problem is, is that you've raised your standards so high that no human being on earth could ever fulfill it. You yeah. know, you're never going to find it because no one's going to be able to do that for you. The second problem is that it's a two-edged sword. Because if you look to someone and you say, I need you, the flip side of that is, is it right for them to need you? Sure. Right? Is that is that okay for them to look at you right back and say, well, I need you? And if you're like me, if my wife looked at me today and said, I need you, Peter, there would be two, there would be a conflict in my body right then and there. One side of me would be like, oh, that's great. You know, my wife needs me. But the second part of me would freak out because I know how immature I know how flawed, I know how messed up I am, and the fear that would sink down into my heart would be like, I don't want to ruin this. I got to toe the line. I got to toe the line. I got to be perfect all the time because if I'm not perfect, I'm I'm now responsible for this woman's entire well-being. Mm -hmm. And if I mess up, I mess her up forever, permanently. And that level of stress is not good for anybody. You know, it's it's going to it's going to totally freak you out because you know that you're not good enough. And that's why so many people in our culture today walk around with intense amounts of guilt and shame. And people who start off as people who are looking for love to satisfy them end up like me. Because after a while, they realize, I think I just want to be safe. You know, I want to be safe in pornography and just objectifying people and, and going. That leaves me safe because now I can't ruin anyone's life. And I think that's a great point you just bring up is I, and I don't think a lot of people realize that in the, in Christendom because uh, a Christian pastor tweeted this one, you know, that that close to half of American adults infected with HPV survey finds. And, you know, I, I think the point that that him and not only him, but many others are saying is like, hey, therefore, you know, porn's bad and don't do it. Yeah. But but I think the reverse happens <laughs> actually for for people, especially who um, not just Christian people growing up, but I, I, I think uh, people that are growing up just, you know, a religious man, they're just, yeah. they uh, they just grow up going, hey, you know, you know, there's so much disease out there. Then then why not just take sexual pleasure and desire um, and wants and wishes into a, a private zone? Mm. And and so that's what, you know, pornography um, does for them, for us as a culture. So instead of going to rape, you can watch rape instead mm -hmm. of going to do something or to have sex for the first time. You can watch uh, virgin pornography or if you if you have any kind of inkling of whatever you want to do you can just watch it and just stay in that private place yeah. no disease and and that's why you know no disease no harm no you know no harm asterisk but right, you know right. what i mean yeah no disease yeah. and and i i just don't think this is the way to go yeah. um it seems like even within the body of christ the students that are raised in the church, when they hear this rhetoric, they too go, oh, well, I, uh, maybe pornography is the way to go. Yeah, it's yeah. safe. It really is safe, you know. And, um, it, 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 you know, when, when you're uncomfortable, when you're a teenager 
And uh, either either you're a teenager and you grew up in a religious home, or let's say you're a teenager. Let, let let's flip it a little bit. Let's talk about someone else. Let's talk about uh, the type of person who's who's grown up in a home, maybe not have heard about God or anything like that. But let's say they're they're a teenage girl, teenage boy. They're attractive. They've uh, been in a relationship with someone and they've been taken advantage of. They've been used. Maybe even they've been raped. Um, now at that point, porn starts looking pretty good. You know, because it's like, I, I know I have sexuality, I know I have sexual desires, but if I go out there, if I put myself out there, I'm now putting myself in a position where I could be victimized again. And that that's the thing about love that we see biblically, is that like the more powerful, the more intimate, and the more vulnerable something is, the more potential there is for abuse and harm. And love is the most beautiful, the most intimate, and the most vulnerable thing that God created. He says that when he made man and woman, they were naked and unashamed, meaning that they had complete vulnerability and intimacy with one another. And that can lead to an awful lot of pain and abuse. And so for so many people, they're like, you know what? I think I would rather just sit here clothed and watch two other people be vulnerable or, you know, whatever. And that way, I don't have to expose myself anymore. Yeah, and I think when you when you make your reason for the Christian way uh, a tactic like disease, um, then you basically it, it, it has a lot of failure in it because you can you can you can wait till you're a virgin, have sex, and you know what you know, you might end up, maybe somehow you get some kind of disease. Maybe something mm -hmm. does happen. Maybe your marriage doesn't work out. Yeah. You know, maybe not through disease or something like that, but maybe it's through something else. Yeah. And so it falls apart. And then you go, well, I thought my Christian marriage, I, you know, I waited till I was a virgin. Yeah. I went to church every Sunday and Wednesday. Um, you know what I mean? I was a part of an Awana program when I was a kid. Um, you know, I memorized the Bible and we did together and we prayed and we went to church and you know what? It didn't work out. Mm. And what was up with that? Yeah. You know, how did that happen? Um, to me, if the reason you're not wanting to have sex or with other, like, you know, um, not God's prescribed way yeah. and, and not view pornography if it doesn't have any if it's not just because of god mm. because god yeah. <laughs> yeah then to me it's flawed yeah and it's uh, missing the the only piece that's going to make it good that's right it's yeah. missing the main point cuz at the beginning the main point you pointed out is god it's god yeah i mean that that's the reason yeah we were created to be with god and uh you know, a reason why I know for a certainty, I don't think any sociologist come out and said this, but the reason why I can know as a Christian looking at the data of for a certainty of why I believe the world is going in such a negative way when we're promoting love the way that our culture does. We're promoting love, but we've taken out the one who is love, right? Uh, the reason why I know that it's going askew is the statistics on what we would call codependency and other statistics we would call affluenza. And uh, those two terms are, they may be a little foreign to you guys, but the first one, codependency, is it's, it's a need in a person to be needed by another person. And the second term of affluenza is the terminology utilized for parents who would spoil their children and just like, you know, anything that goes wrong with the kid's life, they immediately solve it. They never let the kid understand natural consequences. They never teach them how to, how to do hard things. They never discipline them. 
those two things are becoming epidemics inside of America. And if you think about it, it makes total sense because it's exactly what I just said of people moving towards the idolization of a person. And when you idolize a person, the other thing that you can do to them is what we call enabling and what we call using them for your own needs. So think about what kind of parent that would make you. You've been looking to your spouse, whether it's your husband or your wife, you've been looking to your spouse to fill your needs, and they're not. So the next logical solution in America is, well, let's have a kid. All right, let's have a kid. And then they have a kid, and what they do is they spoil that kid. Because they're like, this is this is going to be the source of my happiness now, and so they 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 don't let that times, kid go, don't let that kid right. out of sight, don't right. you know, you know, don't let him make his own decisions, you know, I can't let him out of my sight, can't do anything, and uh, you know, growing up, if you look at the statistics of affluenza, they're going through the roof, and it used to it, the the way that we got the term affluenza, it comes from the term affluent, so it used to be affluenza only affected people who were high class. But what's happening, and, and psychologists are saying this now, is that the, the scary uh, trend that's happening in America is families that we didn't consider affluent are producing affluenza. Hmm. Uh, and, and it's because it's like, it doesn't matter how much money you have, man, you could be, you could be relatively poor. But if you take your poverty and then you just, again, you just spoil your kid. You, it's all about the kid. I live for my kid. It's all about my children. Then once again, you're, you're raising them to be these codependent people without knowing the true love of God, right? Because if I'm incomplete without God, I'm going to be continue to be incomplete without God, and I'm going to produce people who are incomplete without God. Um, what the intent of creation was is that through loving God, through receiving his love, his perfect love for us, um, which is, by the way, why people who struggle with codependency struggle so much with God, because we like to have relationships with people that need us. God doesn't need us which is why humanity has repetitively created gods that need us, right? We create idols that we need to build, and we create uh, gods that need our prayers and gods that need our works, and these, these are the gods that we create, but God is different because he doesn't need anything. And so because we struggle so much with this God, this God that needs nothing, who is the great I am, who, who requires nothing from anybody, because of that, we struggle so much with just receiving the fact that God loves us, God died for us, and God lives in us, and it's by his grace alone that we're saved, not through anything that we do. And because we have this terminology of like, no, I need to be needed, I need to be needed, I need to be needed, and love is the answer, love is the answer, because of that, I'm never going to be able to just receive God's free gift of love, and I'm never going to be able to just serve him out of love as opposed to out of trying to put him in a quandary of now he must bless me, or now he must do this for me, or or whatever. And... Uh, that's, that's going to be a problem for the rest of your life. You know, it's going to be something that you're going to struggle with forever on uh, your relationship with him. And if you look at Adam and Eve, it's like, what did Adam do to deserve God's love? You know, nothing, right? He was created. What did Eve do? Nothing. And yet they had no problem just knowing God loves us. God cares for us. God says we're good. And that's enough. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's really the answer, it seems like, for so many so many questions, people, wives out there that are going, Hey, I, I, you know, I'm struggling with my husband who's into pornography. You know, what can I do? You know, it always comes back to, 
you know, being complete in Christ. Mm -hmm. It always comes back to, for the Christian, that's always the, the focus is being complete in God. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, they have to figure out what they're complete in, Mm -hmm. you know, so that they don't fall into that codependency kind of affluenza, you said? Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of behavior, Mm -hmm. um, you know, but Christians, we're going to look, we have to look to Christ and go, hey, we're complete in Christ. And and that completeness in Christ is going to help us to make the right decisions with our husbands or our wives or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, whatever's going on in the marriage. But there is no get out of jail free card, you mm-hmm. know, in the Christian life. You can do everything right and still have things go bad. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know. And so sometimes when I see people posting stuff on, you know, disease kind of things, I always think of this, too, is what if science comes out and just and just finds solutions to all this? Because that's what a lot of medicine is doing. It's always finding solutions for these diseases. Does that mean it's okay now? Yeah. So go have sex with everybody. See, it's still <laughs> we're still right back to where we were. That's right, and that's that's actually what science has been doing. So Christians have been saying like, this is why you shouldn't have sex before marriage. And I heard the same message from both my public school and the church of the reason why you should wait till marriage is because you get STDs. The only difference is in my public schools they handed us out condoms. <laughs> right. Right. So obviously my pastor didn't throw condoms out to the church, but we no. heard the same message, right? And so they just threw us condoms, and that's science solving the problem. Right. What, where, why do we hear in church uh, homosexual people shouldn't be able to marry? Well, because they can't have kids. And God says they created us one so that we might have godly offspring. Well, now homosexuals can't have kids through things like artificial insemination, adoption, things like that. So science is stepping in and it's solving our moral problems because what we've tried to do is we've tried to take the Bible out of the equation and say, this is right, even if the Bible's not here. And uh, the problem is, is no, it's not. You know, <laughs> like, no, it's not. Uh, if if that were true, I like what we talked about last night with the Salvation Army, and those guys' answers are just so good. You know, of like why, um, you know, what would happen if we just took God out of the equation? You know, what's right for your sexuality? What's right for love? And obviously, humanity has never agreed on that. You know, there's never been a time where all cultures on Earth said this is what you should do with your sexuality. This is what you should do with love. Um, we we all have our different ideals, and even in the culture, there's many different competing ideals of what those things are. So you, you can't do it. You just can't take away the objective standard of God and then say, let's still figure it out though. You know? Yeah. And, but we, we try desperately, don't we? Yeah, <laughs> we do. <laughs> you know, and, and it, to me, it seems like the best thing we could do is someone who doesn't know God the way we do as Christians is, is, you know, we, we have to understand that our society is, is everything. It's people from all walks of life, all religious backgrounds. Um, you know, just as, just, I mean, I can, I can sympathize, I think in this sense with, with maybe the secularist in that just as they might not want to have a Christian view of sexuality put on them. Hmm. I might not want to have a, um, another religion put their view of sexuality on me. Yeah. And, and so that becomes quite, quite the issue, don't it? (laughs) (laughs) It does. It does. Cause I mean, I mean, I I guarantee you no Christian would say like, 
you know, what if uh, what if an atheist said like, hey, you know what? How about this? Let's let all religions teach their view of sex to your kids. You know, all of them. You know, so we're gonna have Sharia Islam come in and teach your children what they believe about sexuality. Um, we would obviously flip out. We would say, no way. You know, no way. I'm gonna let the, those people teach my kids about sexuality. Um, but yet, the standards are are double for us, right? Because we're saying that we want people of all different religions and all different cultures to listen to Christianity's view. You know, and that's it's obviously incorrect. It's obviously something that we we shouldn't say. You know. Yeah, I wonder. I you know, I always kind of brain goes tilt a little bit on how should government kind of do this stuff. It, 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 you know, because biblically speaking, um, Christianity isn't a uh, you don't see it running government. Yeah, it's not political. Yeah, it doesn't have that political. Yeah. So. Um, you know, it seems so ground grassroots level. It's just, you know, it's just like a group of people that have this belief and, and they stick to it and they're kind of seen as a little bit weird um, and odd to the culture. Um, but they don't care. They just kind of stay with it, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and I wonder if Christians just did that. If yeah. Christians just said, hey, you know, you know, we understand that you guys don't have our view of sexuality and that's OK, man. I mean, you you we disagree with it. But yeah. we agree to disagree. Yeah. And, you know, the first thing we want you to know is our God. Mm. That's the first thing we, we would like you to know. Mm. Not not conforming to our sexual norm, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then um, our, our ideal, our sexual ideal, I should say. Yeah. What we're shooting for. Yeah. You know, what we're going for. Um, and uh, so we're going to just be over here in our life and our culture. And we're going to do it. And you guys can do what you want to do. You know, I wonder how that would look. <laughs> look a little different, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a passage to me that I usually point out to Christians is First uh, Timothy 2, where Paul talks about praying for the government and people in authority and power. Yeah. And he says, pray that we could live a quiet and peaceful life. Yeah. And that's it. You know, and, and it's like, did, did early Christians believe that? Yeah, because even when Constantine took over in 300, the Edict of Milan, all it did, all that Christians were pushing for was the Edict of Milan. And what did the Edict of Milan say? It just said Christians can't be persecuted anymore. That was it. You know, they, they weren't pushing Constantine to say, make it the state religion. They weren't pushing him to put on Christian morality. All they wanted was just, I want to live a quiet and peaceful life. You know, I just, that's what I pray for. I pray that the government just allows me to live my Christian life without persecuting me. You know, and then I'm I'm happy, you know, and that's uh, to the Apostle Paul. He's like, that would be that would be perfection. You know, if the government just had non-interference with me, that's not the way it was for the Apostle Paul. But that's what he prayed for. Yeah. And we definitely have to talk about that on another podcast about government's role and how, how Christians can maybe, um, you know, what we do good and what we do bad, mm. you know, in the in the political sphere. Yeah. You know, but I just, you know, I, I go back to that first Thessalonians, what I read, right? It, you know, it, it says, you know, those who don't know God, not in passion of lust like those who don't know God. Mm. And it just seems like the writer's constantly trying to say to the people like, hey, for you guys, hey, let's let's do this. Mm. But for those out there, man, it's like, you know, I, I love that passage in First Corinthians. I think it's chapter five, too, where at the end of it, uh, the same writer um, says, you know, those who were in the church were to judge. But those who are outside of the church, God's their judge. Mm. And I like that because it, 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 it's just like I, you know, 
if I if someone doesn't have my view of sexuality or what you've been talking about in the podcast, um, are they now, um, you know, or do I now label them an addict? Mm. You know, do I now label them a certain thing? If someone doesn't view sexuality the way Christians does, is that criminal now? Mm. Are they are they really criminals yeah. in the in the country? Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know that sounds a lot like maybe what I would think Sharia law is kind of like. Yeah. You know, where if you don't do this, you know, then conform to this norm, then you're you're this. You know, yeah. then you're a criminal. Yeah, you're a criminal. You get you get put to death. Yeah. And it's like, do you, you know, do we really want to do that? You know, is that is that really the intent? You know, and I, I could actually make an argument. Um, you know, again, I think this is another podcast altogether, yeah. but I could make an argument that I, I don't think that that was what the founding fathers had in mind either. Um, you know, because not all the founding fathers were Christian, first off. Yeah. Um, but secondly, you know, when you look at their stuff, it's not like they said, hey, you know, First Amendment. Um, you must be married in order to have sex. You know, right. Second Amendment. There isn't like a Christian yeah. moral yeah. code going down. There's nothing There's like that. There's these fairly general statements hmm. to keep us, keep things as loose as they are without breaking, if you will, yeah. it seems like. Yeah, that's right. So, like, I, I believe, you know, if, you know, when I look at it, I believe that the original intent uh, was just like, hey, you know, the purpose of government when God set it up over the earth uh, when he set up government, by the way, he did not, it wasn't the government of Israel. He just set up government. Um, and Paul in Romans 13 says all government comes from God. Um, so what that means is that when God set up government, all it was is it was to keep people basically in check. It was basically to keep people from going to activities that would be incredibly harmful to them and their neighbors, right? So the government steps in if, say, you're, you're a murderer or you're a rapist or things like that. Those are the things that the government was put in place to do. Um, but for the things that we would call um, in our culture um, morally questionable, you know, things in gray areas like having sex before marriage, how much drinking is too much, should uh, these type of drugs be okay, things like that. Um, those are things that, once again, I, I say they're Christian issues, meaning they're things that I'm glad that the government says you have freedom to talk about these things, to dialogue about these things, to think about these things, and to do what you think is right in these in these modes. It would be wrong, it would be incorrect for the government to come in and then say, if you have sex before marriage, I'm gonna put you in jail. You know, if you uh, if you have if you view pornography, I'm gonna put you in jail. Um, or if you you know you drink a glass of wine, I'm gonna put you in jail. And we've tried that before, right? Prohibition didn't work. Um, so I mean, well, it made a lot of criminals of a lot of people. It really did. <laughs> it made a lot of criminals of people who weren't criminals, you know, people who just like like the, you know, glass of you know glass of wine after a hard day's work or whatever. Now they're so all of a sudden up there with someone who you know bootlegs liquor in their cabinet. You know, it's uh, yeah, it, it's pretty crazy what prohibition did. And uh, I know we have talked about that a lot on our podcast of like if the government did prohibit sexual material, would Christians be criminals? You know, would would we be criminals by the standard, by any reasonable standard that someone could come up with? If what? And you know, if if the government came in and said no sexually explicit material, oh, you know, would a Christian be a criminal in that way? And having a Bible. Having a Bible, and uh, I would I would say yeah, you know. Certainly, some people would. Yeah. So you know, it, it's it's you know, understanding. I mean, talking about sexuality for a Christian, it always has to do with God. Um, and it seems like that's how we should lead. Mm. Um, 
so it's like, hey, why why is it not good to have sex before marriage? Why is it not good to view pornography? Why is it not good to be a polyamorous or homosexual? Um, the the talk should always go right into well, it's it's how we view God, mm-hmm. um, and and that's what we've been trying to kind of I think convey, and also in this podcast, just the idea of a, in a Christian's life. Uh, knowing God is so important and and having him be the primary source of our joy and our happiness and our sustenance and our confidence um, and our acceptance and our belonging um, are vital because if we don't, we by nature believe that we fall into an idolatrous attitude. And that's what maybe people we believe in, quote, the world, um, do because they don't have this love, this agape love God um, that is sustaining them. So they will, they all they have is each other. Mm-hmm. So they they literally are looking to one another for um, that kind of um, sustenance. Mm-hmm. And so what they have to lean on is other things maybe it's doing yoga and they find peace through that or maybe it's doing something else where they find some kind of sustenance through that some kind of belonging some kind of confidence so that they're not looking to their partner for everything mm-hmm. they're doing something else that might be similar to what a christian's doing but we just feel like we're doing it the right way in the sense that because god is true yeah and uh, that's our belief. Yeah, and and that's such a cool thing about Christianity. You know, I know we've talked about it before, but that that is, I believe, one of the major things that separates Christianity from any other world religion, uh, the teachings of Christ uh, from any other philosophers. Where Jesus, in John 14, he said something that no other philosopher has ever said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Every other philosopher said, I will show you the way. And you live this way, and your life will be blessed. But Jesus says, I am the way. So meaning, if the resurrection isn't true, John 14 is stupid. There's nothing good about it. Because that means that you're just, Jesus is just saying, hey, if you put your faith in me, who was a fictional character who really didn't rise from the dead, then you'll be at peace. And obviously it's not true. The only way that Christianity works is if it's true. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's the great quandary for a Christian. If the resurrection didn't happen... Christianity is stupid. And that's what Paul says. If Christ is not risen, we are of all men to be most pitied, right? Because the only hope for our peace, for our love, for our growth, for everything. All the sustenance that we're looking at is dependent on the the fact <laughs> of of Jesus. That's right. That's right. Where another religion could say, well, even if it's not right, you know, we got some good morality here, you know, that you can get out of it. Where a Christian, we shouldn't be able to say that. We should say, like, dude, if, if God, if Christ isn't risen, uh, waiting till marriage, um, it may work out for you, but it may not. Yeah, you know? but, yeah, but I mean, in, in light of that, it's like, it's kind of, it's kind of like what we do with with putting out certain statements on Twitter or Facebook or about whatever, you know, don't do this, you know, look at what's happening, you know, to, to, to people who don't know Christ is we're trying to put forth that even if Jesus isn't true, the morality's right. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> like we're, it seems like we're almost doing that. Yeah. Doesn't it? It does. It you does. know that, Hey, it's just our morality's right. Our morality, like everything's based on their morality Yeah. and just come over to our morality. 
Yeah. When when really Paul makes his his point in uh, uh, what is it First Corinthians fifteen, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, that you know if Jesus isn't true, then man, our morality and stuff is <laughs> is wrong too. It's to be pitied of all things. Yeah. You know, so it would be weird to tell someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. <laughs> That our morality is good when actually the Bible's saying no. If you don't believe Jesus <laughs> is true, then it's actually whack. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It seems like we're doing the exact opposite yeah. um, of what Paul was trying to convey. <laughs> so it's really odd. It is really odd, you know. And that's when you go through the Book of First Corinthians and all their moral issues. Paul always went to, you know, if Christ is risen. Right? Why should you wait till I have uh, sex before marriage? Why? Because Christ is one with us. Yeah, right? even That's in Ephesians, argument. why do you forgive? Because Jesus forgave. <laughs> because Jesus forgave us. based on this fact. Do not be filled with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So yeah. if the Holy Spirit ain't real, be filled with wine, man. Like there's no reason not to. And you know what? No coming to. from a coming from a non-believing background myself, there was no information of disease or um any scare tactic that i ever heard on sex did anything inkling any little tiny bit of of anything in me um uh it it didn't to to restrain me yeah um and that's that's biblically true yeah uh meaning there is nothing to restrain you yeah you can't be restrained by just knowing something's bad for you uh, or going to give you a disease. Yeah. You know, it would be weird. Like everybody knows smoking's bad for you. It's on the card. Everybody (laughs) knows that eating the way we eat is bad for you, but everybody does it, you know? So there's no restraint in the slightest. So what makes us think that by saying, Hey, you're going to get a disease is going to do it. Yeah. You know, but someone told me about God and and a God that was different from the God that I heard of. Hmm. And and it led me to want to learn about this God. Um and now that changed my life and and changed the way I thought and made me think differently when I did push the envelope and brought brought a conviction of heart that led to me wanting to continue to to change Hmm. so you know we certainly have had things a little backwards maybe from some of the the scriptures in in our culture right now the christian way of doing things but so it's been a great podcast we hope you guys check us out on on runninglight.org um, we're working on a new website, too, so all kinds of things we're working on. So we'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Check out runninglight.org to begin our two video series, Take Flight and Love or Lust. You can also send us questions on Twitter at Running Light or on our runninglight.org podcast page. Like us on Facebook at Running Light Ministries, Psalm 36.8. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures.